This sermon, We Are Deacon Dependent, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, January 23rd, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, good morning, church. If you would open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, after a quick break last week. We're back in our study in the book of Acts, and I am grateful to be back. We'll actually be getting out of Acts next week as well, as we have Mark Alderton coming from our Aurora, Colorado church. He'll be coming straight from the marriage retreat here to serve us, and I'm very looking forward to that sermon. Um, It's a sermon I've been actually wanting him to preach for a while now at our church, and so... I'm going to leave it at that, but I know it's going to, it'll feed our souls well. Well, if you were here five months ago, <clears throat> then you know that we looked at the office of deacon. I think it was in September, and we looked at the office of deacon from this very text that we find ourselves in the natural preaching flow of Acts, Acts 6. One through seven. It was part of our seven shared values uh, that we hold with sovereign grace, and we added one. (laughs) So it's seven shared values plus one, and that is that we are deacon dependent. And if you remember, the application of that sermon was different. Um, We asked you to take the month of September and that we wanted to hear from you who you believe, uh, according to Uh, the sermon that was preached, and more importantly, according to the qualifications that Paul lays out for a deacon, who and why you believe should serve as a deacon here at Sovereign Grace Church. We told you that, that in October, Tim and I would prayerfully consider and discuss your recommendations, and that we would choose men to be deacons. And then that we would take November and December to talk with those men and to give them an opportunity to prayerfully consider the sacrifice that they would be making to accept the role and office of deacon. And then we said in January, we would establish and install deacons. Well, by the grace of God, here we are. It's January, and next Sunday night, we have the joy and privilege of installing two men, Scott McLeod and Bob Raby, as deacons of Sovereign Grace Church. Could you guys just stand up real quick? I'm going to put you on the spot. I think you know who they are, but Bob Raby, Scott McLeod. Out of, out of numerous men, you guys can sit down, thank you. Out of numerous men that you put forth, Scott and Bob have been thoughtfully recognized by you and prayerfully affirmed by your pastors as men whose lives reveal the grace of God in a unique way according to the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. 8 through 13. And I just want you to know, I I speak on behalf of Tim as well, it it was a tremendous blessing for us that there were many of you who submitted names. Not not everybody, but many of you gave yourself to your 
uh, pastor's leadership, and you submitted names. And it was wonderful and a blessing. Just uh, for me, it, 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 it refreshed my gratitude for God's work in the lives of people in our church because so many of you were very thoughtful in how you presented uh, your argument for these particular men, for how you talked about your recommendations. And so it was a joy for us to, to just be able to read through those and talk about them and affirm the, the things that you were seeing in these men. And so uh, just the process for me, uh, the Lord revived my soul, if you will, in terms of gratitude for what he is doing in the lives of people in our church. Now, I know that we just preached through Acts 6, 1 through 7 a few months ago, but really today is in an effort to, to stir you up by way of reminders. As Peter said in 2 Peter 1, two, or chapter 1, I see, it, I see it right to stir you up by way of reminder and really to prepare you, to prepare you to have this teaching fresh in your minds and hearts as we uh, come to our family meeting next Sunday night. We, we didn't just want to pass over this text because we preached it five months ago. Anyway, we could keep preaching it the next three weeks, right? We can never, there's always something there. It's the word of God, an incomprehensible God, and there's always something there that the Spirit does freshly. And so we're going to be looking at these words from Luke, again, from Acts 6, again, focused on the diaconate, and this will be very similar to the first sermon that you heard five months ago. Uh, so would you stand with me? Let's read and pray, and we will dig in. Acts 6, verse 1. Luke writes, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. God, we pray that you would cause it to bear fruit in our hearts. Gratitude in our hearts. Joy in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the big idea of this morning is pretty simple. It's this. 
Deacons are a unique and vital expression of God's wisdom, goodness, and care for his church. Deacons are a unique and vital expression of God's wisdom, goodness, and care for his church. I've broken down the text to get to that main idea in three ways this morning. If you're taking notes, our first point this morning is deacons exist to serve the pastors. That's the first thing that we see in our text this morning. You'll notice in verse 1, Luke says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. And we've been learning about the church in Jerusalem. And one of the things we've been learning is that the church in Jerusalem was thriving from the get-go. I mean, anytime your, your inaugural sermon in the life of the church uh, results in 3,000 conversions, uh, that's thriving. That, that can also cause problems. And so this church was thriving, combined with the progress reports in chapter 4, verse 32 through 35, and chapter 5, verse 12 through 16. Luke's words here in verse 1, they describe a growing and maturing church. Of course, you know that growing pains are inevitable wherever there is growth. And the church in Jerusalem, it turns out, had a big problem within their own walls. Luke says that a feud within the church broke out. You'll notice that he, he mentions the, the Hellenistic widows. That simply means the Greek-speaking Jews. That this group, these widows, it turns out they were being overlooked in the daily food distribution. And whether or not uh, that was an oversight uh, or, or an intentional act or just poor administration, Luke doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us here. Whatever the cause... What Luke wants us to understand is that this was the first big test of love and unity in the church. In verse 1, you notice the word complaint there, the word that Luke uses. It, it, it means literally there was behind-the-scenes grumbling going on. There was whispering happening in regard to how the church was serving these widows. Actually, if you, if you look at that word in the original, it actually carries with it a sense of this was a potentially explosive situation in the infancy of the church. From a modern-day perspective, people were talking in the corner of the lobby after the service. People are venting about what's going on in the church over social media, in homes as families gathered to break bread and share life, there were uncharitable judgments being made about the church and leaders and pastors. This was, this was a potentially explosive situation, and for all the 
opposition that we have seen in the last couple chapters outside the church, this was a big test within the church. And so you'll notice the solution that Luke brings us into. Notice verse two, he says, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, here's the solution, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve the tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's easy to miss here, but, but I'm sure you caught it, and, and you may very well even remember it from this text in September. Did you notice the driving force behind their solution, which was what? Which was to identify men who could make sure that the widows are being fed. The driving force behind that solution was identifying the pastor's role. Did did you catch that? Did you notice the bookend verses, verse 2 and verse 4, are all about the pastor and their call to the ministry of the word? Undoubtedly, there were numerous ways that that the church could have solved the widow's situation. But whatever the solution, Peter and the other Peter and the other leaders made it clear it had to accomplish releasing the pastors to be in prayer and the word. Now I just want to uh, just in case there's any temptation to think Peter and the leaders were lazy men, that they were not. They were not arrogant men who thought it beneath them to serve tables and make sure the widows are fed. To the contrary, these men learned from Jesus himself what it meant to be a servant leader. And please don't think that your pastors are ever above or too busy to serve you. We, we love, t- t- Tim and I love serving you. We love getting up in the morning and giving ourselves to your good. We love serving you guys, in every way that we get to. We, we can't believe that we get to get up every morning and serve you. And, well, at least me, get paid for it. We, we know that it's a privilege, and it's only by the call and grace of God that we get to do that. But we also know that like the leaders in Jerusalem, our calling includes a devotion to prayer, to preaching, to being in the word. So this is where our understanding of deacon, it begins. It begins with our understanding of the pastor. 
Pastors need men who can uniquely serve them in their service to the church. That's what deacons do. Scott and Bob are not pastors. They'll be the first ones to tell you that. <laughs> They're not pastors. They, they don't govern the church. They don't replace the pastors. They haven't been qualified for the office of pastor, although the only real distinction in the qualifications between the office of pastor and deacon is that a pastor must be able to rightly handle the word, and that I know Scott and Bob can both do. But they don't replace the pastors. They don't compete with your pastors. They don't, they're not, they don't exist to keep your pastors in line. No deacons... And by the end of the next Sunday, Scott and Bob serve and complement your pastors so that your pastors can give themselves to prayer and preaching without neglecting the people, without neglecting you. Alexander Strock says, church shepherds must radically insist on a schedule that affirms the spiritual priorities of prayer and the ministry of God's word. The deacons of the church also need to fix these priorities firmly in their minds. As deacons, Scott McLeod and Bob Ravy exist to serve the pastors. And how do they do that? How will they do that? Well, don't worry. Scott will not be shining Tim's golf clubs, and Bob will not be bringing me Starbucks to the office. They serve the pastors by serving you. Deacons exist to serve the pastors. And they serve the pastors by serving the people. Notice verse 3 again. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then in verse 6, after Identifying seven men, they set before the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them. And Luke doesn't say it, but you can bet what happened is this group of men got busy making sure that the widows were all fed. And the pastors in verse 7, Luke says... The word continued to go forth as the pastors gave themselves to the word. I, I, one of the reasons why I love Acts 6, particularly these verses, is that it's a wonderful expression of pastors clearly and thoughtfully leading. Some people like to argue, wait, this is, this is, this is about voting. No, this, this isn't about voting. The point here is not that you vote, the congregation votes deacons in. The point here is that, that the, 
the, the, the pastors and leaders, they, they set forth, they set forth a trajectory. And so you have leaders leading and the congregation joyfully and humbly following as they participated in a meaningful way. In, in verse two and three, we find the pastors, they recognize the problem, they own the problem, and then they create a solution to the problem. And then in verse three, they, what do we see them doing? They're, they call a meeting where they gave clear and specific direction to the church. Here's the problem, church. Here's our solution, and here's what we believe your role is in that solution. And then you see in verse five and six, men are named, the congregation embracing and submitting to their pastor's plans. And the result is the gospel mission advances. And really over the past five months, we've experienced this God-glorifying process ourselves. Many of you, like I said from the outset, many of you submitted to our plan by thoughtfully putting forth men you felt were qualified for the consideration of deacon. And in doing this, I'll just say in doing this, you've made, in a Hebrews 13, 17 way, you've made our... (laughs) Our role, our job in leading and pastoring you, you, you've made it a joy, so thank you. We're not going to be where we are next Sunday night installing these two men in the diaconate apart from you. You have participated, you have played a role, and you have followed your pastor's leadership. But what I want us to see here is this, this lead-follow relationship that we see so clear in this text, it does give us a picture of the deacon's role. Again, notice verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Notice that word serve. That word serve there is really Important. It comes from the verb form of the Greek term diakonos. And it's where we actually get the word for deacon, which simply means servant. It means minister. It can mean assistant. And so you might go, well, wait a minute there. There's no mention of deacons in here. I don't see the word deacon in that. You're right. That's true. But this verb clearly lays out and makes what happened at the early church here. I don't think these men understood themselves as deacons yet, but clearly this was a prototype of the diaconate that we see in other places of Scripture. And what did these men do? They served. They served the pastors. How? By serving the people. In this case, serving the pastors by serving the people was serving the widows and in doing so they ensured the needs of the widows were met without pastors having to neglect their primary responsibility of word and prayer. Now one one might say well pastor everybody in the church is called to serve so what's the big deal about deacons? What's the big deal about Scott and Bob? That's true. In one sense, you're right. You could apply that to the pastor as well. The pastor's just serving. We're all called to be servants in the household of the Lord. We're all called to play our part. But like the pastor, 
Scripture holds out the deacon as different. You'll notice in this text that the pastors in Jerusalem didn't just say, listen, just go rally up some people. The widows need to eat. Just find people who you can gather up and, and, and you know, people who got some culinary skills and a little bit of uh, logistic skills and some administrative skills. He, no, that, that's, they didn't just go rally some people to take care of the need. This group was different. They had to be qualified, verse three, men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. They were publicly installed. There was a public recognition in verse six. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. We're all servants deacon is unique, evidenced by the qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, by the process that they go through here in Acts 6, 6, and their close association with the pastors in Philippians 1, 1, which is the only other passage save 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, where deacons are mentioned, and they're mentioned in Paul's greeting to the pastors and deacons. And so I think what's important here is that the off, to understand that the office of deacon isn't, it isn't ultimately about the man God has made. Or, I mean, the, 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 the office of deacon is ultimately about the man God has made not what the man does. The point in this text is not how important it is to feed widows. If that's your takeaway, go back to the text. The point is is that that God works through men. God, God works through gifted men to come along and help the pastors serve the people, ultimately so that the mission of the gospel is not hindered and it advances. We'll, we'll see that in a moment. I think a lot of times it's easy for us to get caught up in what the deacons do. But the diaconate is about the man before it's about the ministry. Exactly what deacons do will vary from season to season, from man to man. But whether it's identifying and meeting tangible needs in the church like we see right here in Acts 6 or it's protecting and promoting unity in the church, which no doubt that was probably part of the task here for these men in Acts 6, or it's facilitating ministry that the pastors equipped the congregation to do. Once again, no doubt these men didn't do everything on their own, but they facilitated this critical ministry to the widows of the church. Deacons, deacons are are men called to serve the pastors by serving the people. Here's how our newly codified deacon policy, which, by the way, if you would like a copy, you can uh, get one. You can contact Sierra in the church office if you would like. But here's how we describe it in this uh, document. 
Deacons are men uniquely called and qualified by God to serve the pastors by serving the people. They do this in various ways and with delegated authority and responsibility from their pastors. This ensures there are no unserved people and no unmet needs in the church, while at the same time ensuring the pastors can govern the church and devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. This is what Scott and Bob have been recognized by you and affirmed by your pastors to do whatever that might look like. And it's what we will set them in next Sunday night to do. So deacons exist to serve the pastors And they serve the pastors by serving the people. Men uniquely gifted and qualified and called by God to serve their church in an official capacity. Finally, from the model of this early church, we see that deacons, in doing that, Deacons are difference makers in our gospel mission. Notice verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Here we are again. The early church was thriving And what could have divided, perhaps even destroyed, the early church to her became a mere speed bump. Why do you think Luke would add this at the end? Why wouldn't he put, and the widow's needs were met? Well, I think Luke wants us to understand how vital This structure, this leadership is. When pastors and deacons and congregations come together, each joyfully giving themselves to their part, the pastor's not trying to do everything. That happens so often. I I talk to pastors all the time here locally. And oftentimes, they're just by themselves. They're doing everything. Tim planted this church. You want, he knows what that's like. A man having to just have all the weight falling on him. It's easy, too. Pastors, at least this pastor, it's easy to give myself to self-sufficiency. It's easy for my arrogance and my pride to be worn on my sleeve through trying to do everything myself because I don't want to be a burden to somebody else, or it's just too much work to try and get somebody else to help me. It's easy for a pastor to settle in and just adopt the mantra of this world. If it's to be, it's up to me. If it's going to get done, I'm going to have to get it done. No, that's not the church. 
We've all been given a gift. We've all been given parts to play. There's a role for everyone. And when pastors and deacons and congregations come together, pastors not doing everything, the deacon serving out there, identifying and meeting the tangible needs in the church, working with the pastors to make sure that people are cared for, that the facility is stewarded properly. When you have that kind of synergism, when you have that teamwork, the congregation affirming those roles and following their leaders. Luke wants us to know the gospel goes forth. It's not just that the widow's needs are met. That's important. We want to care for the widows in our midst. We want to care for the needs of people in our midst. That is part of shepherding. That is part of our call to one another. The gospel comes and not only reconciles us to a holy God, but it reconciles us to one another. And it lays claim to our lives with verses like Galatians 6 that says, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. And when we're giving ourselves to those roles, whether formal or informal, and the diaconate role is a formal role, it's one of two offices in the church, pastor and deacon. Luke ends with verse seven to remind us the word is being preached. The gospel's being declared. People are experiencing the gospel in tangible, practical ways. The implications and benefits of being part of a local church. And the mission is advancing. God's church is marching. Oh, there's opposition from without, yes. And at times, there's opposition within, yes. But as the word is preached People are giving themselves to what God has called them to. The church grows. And this is the ultimate point of Acts 6, 1 through 7. This is, we're, this is still all about the power of the Spirit at work in the church. We just see it in a very unique and profound way here as we are introduced to this group of men that I think we can keep reading scripture and say these are what we know today to be deacons. And it's really, it's really God's infinite wisdom and his jealousy for the glory of Christ in his church that he gave his church deacons, that he gave his church qualified and gifted men to serve the pastors by serving the people so that the church 
would thrive in her gospel mission. That's what it's about. That is what it is about. Christ and him crucified being proclaimed and demonstrated in the local church through people like you, people like me, people like Scott and Bob. Deacons are difference makers. I think that's what Luke wants us, one of the things Luke wants us to see here in the gospel mission. The Spirit of God uses deacons, and that's why we are deacon dependent. We Make no mistake, we are pastor-led. We are pastor-governed. We are elder-led. But we are deacon dependent. So here's our application. I, I want to appeal to you to join us next Sunday night. There's a lot of things going on next Sunday night. We're going to sing together. We're going to pray together. We have some new members to introduce. We have a big announcement to make that's going to have an impact on this church. And we get to publicly set in Scott McLeod and Bob Raby as deacons in Sovereign Grace Church. I, I think this, is good. This, this next Sunday night, this is going to be a, a marker in the life of our church. And it's also going to be a celebration. It's going to be a celebration of God's wisdom and goodness toward our church. It's going to be a celebration of God's grace in the lives of these men and their wives. And it's going to be a celebration of this congregation committed to advancing the gospel and playing the role that God has given each one of us. So if I can just appeal, I think Seymour has been bombarding your email uh, inbox with, don't forget, please RSVP. We want you to do all that. We want to feed you. We want to provide child care. That, for that, we need to know if you're going to be there. But can I just appeal? Whatever's on your calendar, can you move it? Just one night out of the year, can you move it and be here? For a number of reasons, including this one, we get to set in two men, call to the office of deacon, who are going to give their lives away for their pastors and for you. Amen?